Would you, um, would you turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes? It's kind of in the, in the middle of the Bible. If you um, open the Bible in the middle, if you get to Proverbs, turn right, Isaiah, turn left. That's how Paul uh, helped us get there last week. The book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, we're in our second week of our series on this, this absolutely fascinating book. Absolutely amazing book. Who wrote it? It was written, well, he's described as, we heard this last week, described as the teacher or the preacher. And that helps us to have a feel of the setting. It may have been at the city gate where some of these words were spoken or in the marketplace. But of course, that teacher, that preacher is Solomon. Have a look at, um, we're in chapter 1 to start with. Chapter 1, verse 12, can you see it? I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And then also chapter 1, verse 1, the words of the teacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. And you may remember how it happened. David was Israel's most famous uh, king, most wonderful king. And he was described as a man after God's own heart, but he still had the capacity to be a scumbag. He was on the roof of his palace one day. He saw a beautiful, naked woman. He sent for her and slept with her. And then he had her husband murdered. Yes, that's wrong. He had the capacity to be a scumbag. And then David later married her, Bathsheba. They then later had Solomon. And he became king over Israel after David died. So Solomon came from um, the, the, the line of David, King David, uh, after, dubious, after a dubious start. But God loved Solomon so, so much. He said to him, ask me for whatever you want me to give you. Ask me for whatever you want me to give you. What would you ask? Let's ponder that question. If, if you knew that God would answer this and give it to you, what would you ask God? Ask me for whatever you want me to give you. Would it be wealth? Would it be beauty? Would it be fame? Would it be power? Well, Solomon, of course, asked for wisdom. Hence the phrase, the wisdom of Solomon. And uh, God granted it. God was so pleased with Solomon's choice that he also gave him the other things. He gave him health and wealth and honor as well. And Solomon uh, wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, where we are today. He wrote the, the Song of Songs. He wrote uh, the, uh, most of the Proverbs. And we can relate to Solomon because his family wasn't perfect and because he himself wasn't perfect. Solomon started off worshiping God, started off following God closely. But very soon, he started to make small compromises that had big consequences. Small compromises, big consequences. You see, you can have all the wisdom in the world, but you can still make the wrong choices, the wrong decisions. And it often starts with that small compromise that leads to another. And before you know it, you're not even sure if you have a faith. You don't know what you believe. Well, that was Solomon's story. And last week we heard how he, the preacher, intentionally starts by describing his life from a place of desperation from a place of disillusionment, pointing out how futile life is, how meaningless. And Solomon could write those words because he experienced them as he drifted from God himself. And those first two chapters, he tells us how he tried to find meaning in knowledge. Have a look at uh, chapter 1, verse 13. I applied my mind to study. 
He tried to find meaning in knowledge. He tried to find meaning in pleasure. Chapter 2, verse 1. I will test you with, a ple- with pleasure to find out what is good. Verse 10 of that chapter 2. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. He tried to find meaning in work. You see it in chapter 2, verse 4. And he went embarked on project after project after project very successfully. He tried to find meaning in power. Chapter 2, verse 7. He tried to find uh, meaning in wealth and success. Verse 8, beginning of verse 8. He was enormously wealthy. And he tried to find uh, meaning and fulfillment in sex. And that's referred to in chapter 2, verse 8, the second half of verse 8. Uh, also, if you read the book of Kings, you will see it there. Do you know Solomon, uh, by the time he was old, he had 700 wives. Most men have difficulty emotionally uh, fulfilling one woman, filling her up. Uh, Solomon had 700. You can just imagine the conversation, can't you? We just don't get any quality time these days. Sorry, which one of you said that? <laughs> we, we never talk. We don't go out. He added to those 700 wives, 300 uh, concubines. Um, he was uh, not only the wisest man in history, but probably the horniest man in history too. But 3,000 years later... The story is the same. So Solomon tried to find meaning in all of those things, and many of us try to do exactly the same. Try to find meaning by pursuing those things. And it doesn't matter how hard we chase them, they never satisfy. And so from personal experience to Solomon, from his personal experience, he draws alongside both the unbeliever and the struggling believer with the... uh, and with that God-given wisdom, he analyzes uh, life. He helps us face the big questions. And he's saying, surely there's got to be more than this. Surely. It's an extraordinary book. We're in chapter 3 today. There's got to be more than this. Let me read from the start of chapter 3 um, a few verses. There is a time for everything. And a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep And a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better than for people to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him, revere him. What is has already been. And what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. 
And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked. And there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. Wow. 17 verses of Ecclesiastes 3. What do we make of that? What do we make of that? Okay, there are two ideas here. I'm going to pick on just two ideas. And the first idea uh, I've called the treadmill. Now, throughout the book, Solomon paints this depressing, hopeless picture of life that we can't control. And it causes us to, to wrestle against the despondency and, and it causes us to think that surely there's got to be more than this. There's got to be. And here, chapter 3, he does it with time. Time is, is um, the focus for him. There's a time for this and a time for that. This is life on the treadmill. It just goes round and round. One time this happens, the next, the opposite happens. Then again this, then the opposite. Do we have any control over this? No. It's just like we're pawns being moved around by the gods. What do we make of this? It just goes on and on and on. We slog our guts out. And for what? The pendulum just keeps swinging. The tide goes out. The tide comes in. The tide goes out. The tide comes in. One day the sun's shining. The next day there's a storm. One day you're rejoicing. The next day you're weeping. Do you feel the frustration in this. Do you feel it? I hope so. We should do. He's hoping that we're going to be frustrated. That's exactly what the teacher is trying to do with his readers, his listeners, trying to unsettle them, trying to unsettle us. And he's forcing us to engage with the big questions rather than just to ignore them and carry on on the treadmill. Those big questions. What is it all about? What does it all mean? How does any of this makes sense. What's the point? If you were here last week, uh, Paul gave us the key to understanding this book, and it's in that phrase. Well, we have the phrase in verse 16. It comes 30 other times in the book, and it's that phrase, under the sun, under the sun. And there's a variation of it in, in verse 1, under the heavens. And we are under the sun. That is where we are. That's our, our geography, That's where we live. We live our lives under the sun. And therefore, that's our perspective. Our perspective on life is from where we are, under the sun. And from this angle, so often none of it makes any sense. And it can feel meaningless. It can feel depressing, can't it? There's a time to be born and a time to die. And that's it. No wonder in verse 10, the teacher says, I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. Yes, it feels like a burden. It feels despair. And even now, many of you will be feeling something inside you rising up against this, against that idea that it's all pointless. And that thing that rises up against it, well, that's there in verse 11. God has set eternity in the hearts of men. God has set eternity in the hearts of men. In the human heart. God has set eternity in your heart. Do you know that's what it is that makes us look for answers? That's what makes you 
uh, hope that life at some point, it makes you unsettled with the disparity, the, 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 the sense of futility that here. It's how we're made. It's how we are wired. So what is above the sun? Is it possible that there's something beyond the sun? Is it possible there's a God and he might have a perspective that's different to mine? Consider this metaphor, the metaphor of a tapestry. It's like we're living underneath a tapestry. Imagine a beautiful tapestry. Here's one I sketched. The National Gallery will be coming looking for it, no doubt. A beautiful tapestry. Absolutely gorgeous. But we're underneath it. And for most of the time, all we see is a tangle of knots and frayed ends. And we can be so close to it that all we see is that, that and it makes no sense whatsoever. We're under the tapestry. But from where God stands, it's beautiful. Verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has an entirely different perspective that we get glimpses of. But most of the time, we're under that tapestry. The book of Ecclesiastes is, is fascinating. It doesn't try to give us all the answers, but it does stir us to ask the questions. To get clearer answers, we have to move forward 900 years and to the words of another teacher. And then our questions get satisfied. Another teacher said, If you're weary and burdened, come to me. I will give you rest. Another teacher said, Whoever drinks the water I give him, they will never thirst. And another teacher said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Solomon raises the difficult questions. Jesus says, I am the answer. Solomon says, life without God is meaningless. Jesus says, I am God. Solomon says, what is the point? And Jesus says, I am. Solomon said, there's a time to be born and a time to die. And Jesus says, I know, I know. His birth and his death changed history. That is the point. History was changed for good. Jesus, his birth, his life, his teaching his death, his resurrection, it changes everything. We clearly uh, can see that there's, life is not futile. It has purpose. And in Jesus, those things are answered for us. We've got to find a place to ask questions. When they stir in us, we've got to ask them. The best place I know, Paul has already mentioned it, is on the Alpha Course. It's the best place I know to ask the difficult questions in life, whether you're a Christian or not. Alpha is absolutely brilliant. It's a safe place to ask. It's stimulating. It's fun. It's so relaxed. We just love you to come and join us. Come and ask the questions. Life is more than just a treadmill. And that's the first provocative idea in our passage. I want to end with a second idea that's here. And uh, this I've just called Embrace the Season. First is the treadmill. Second, embrace the season. There's a sequence in this uh, thing, a time for this, a time for that, a time for this, a time for that. And that sequence is not just negative and provocative. It's also real. There's wisdom here. And there's wisdom for the Christian who's already confident in God's perspective over life. Confident that that perspective can be trusted, that his sovereignty can be trusted. And it's there in the concept of seasons. Do you see in verse 1? A season for every activity under the heavens. Now, seasons come and seasons go. Seasons go round 
and round and round. A couple of questions here. First, what season are you in? What season are you in? It really pays to know. It really helps to name it. Don't fight the season, but rather embrace it. One day, the season you're in will pass. If it's a season of grief, you'll be glad it passes. If it's a season of opportunity, you'll want to know that you've made the most of it. If it's a season of testing, you'll want to persevere and know that you were faithful. What season are you in? Take some time, just pause, reflect, and find out what season you are in. And then don't fight it, but embrace it. Another question might be, is God calling you into a new season? It's so easy for us just to get in a rut, just to get stuck, and we find ourselves on the treadmill ourselves. Is God calling you into a new season? Perhaps a season of taking risks, a season of trusting God with your future. Perhaps he's calling you into a new season of planting, of building, some of the words from uh, our passage. A season of investing in other people, spending yourself on a cause or for the mission of the church. Embrace it. Don't resist it. If God is calling you, if he's stirring you into something new, even if it's a bit scary, don't resist it. Don't be afraid of it. Being in step with God or in sync with God's will will bring total satisfaction. Let me just look at verse 12 with you as I close. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. I know there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That sense of happiness pursued in all kinds of ways, but only found when our lives are in God's will. Only find, found when we are with Jesus. And to do good. Life is not about myself. It's about what God calls me to. Why don't we pray? Maybe Rich and the band would come up.